I want to read two scriptures to you as our text this morning. The first from Luke chapter 10. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Luke 2, verse 10 and 11. It says, And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And now I want to read to you from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. The words of the Apostle Paul, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. We ask that you would, according to your promise, cause this gospel to change and to transform us. We ask, God, that you would do this for your glory, that you would cause us, your people, to be conformed to the image of the glorious Son of God, that you would, through your people, receive glory. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the angels appear to the shepherds, the shepherds who were out in the fields keeping their flocks. Now, you might not realize this. I don't know how many of you have ever had a bunch of angels appear to you, but I would just imagine, it's never happened to me, but I would just imagine it would be a somewhat frightening experience, especially when you realize that angels usually appeared for one of two reasons. It was either to tell them something very important that God had to say, or it was to bring judgment, or both. So you can imagine that these shepherds, out at night, keeping their flock, and all of a sudden, this heavenly host appears in the sky. It had to be quite terrifying. And this is why, when it happened, that the angels said to the shepherds, peace. Don't be scared. We have good news for you. Glad tidings. Good news. And then they declared glory to God. Glory to God in the highest. Don't miss the declaration. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. So they put the shepherds at ease. And they came and they declared this truth. Do not be afraid for behold I bring you good tidings of great joy. Which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
there is born to you this day in the city of David, in the little town of Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ was a word that meant the anointed one. It was the word for the Messiah. The Messiah is the Christ. He is the anointed one of God, anointed to come and break the yoke of bondage, anointed to come and break the yoke of sin, anointed to come and save his people. And this is what was declared by the angels. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. This is good news. The Apostle Paul, writing in his letter to the Galatians, writes something very important. He said, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son. When the fullness of the time had come. What does that mean? What that means is there are no random acts. There are no cosmic coincidences that just happen. What that means is that God does everything in his time and for his purpose. There is a God who has a time and a purpose for every event, for every action and every reaction. In the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. He did not send him before the fullness of time. He did not send him after the fullness of time. The time was filled. That means there was a specific day, a specific time, a specific night. And God knew that night would be jam-packed and so full that there would be no room for his son to be born in the peace and comfort of a man-made structure in a house in a nice bedroom in a nice bed no he was born God made sure of it he was born where he was supposed to be born in a stable with the animals laid in a feed trough in the fullness of time God sent forth his son and he sent him forth exactly the way he meant to send him forth. If your child, moms, had to be born and laid in a feed trough, you might be a little upset about that. You might be a little uncomfortable about that. You might think, what disease is my child going to get from laying out here with these animals. Mary may have had all those thoughts. We don't know. But God knew. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. The decision for the son of God to come was in the eternal counsel of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in eternity before time began, before sun and moon and stars and cosmic dust and galaxies and black holes and white dwarfs, before Hubble telescopes, before 
man could see the things we could see now, before any of that existed, God said there would come a day, I would make that day, I would create that day, I would create time that would make that day, there would come a day in the fullness of time and I would send forth my son. It was the counsel of the Godhead. It was the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that developed that plan, that came up with that course of action. It was not a reaction to a failed plan due to the fall of man. It was the eternal will and counsel of God before creation. God is always the initiator. There is no plan B in case of failure because that's not how God operates. God knows the beginning from the end and every point in between in intimate detail. That means he knows it for you and for me. He knows it for your exact situation right now. God knows exactly how you will come through your exact situation right now. It may be a surprise to you. It may be unknown to you. It may cause trepidation and fear and stress for you, but it does not for God. Because whatever situation, whatever circumstance, whatever you may be walking through right now, God has an appointed time for it. He has an appointed time for its fulfillment. He has an appointed time for its beginning. He has an appointed time for its end. Well, what are we to do? Well, we are to trust Him. That's what we are to do. There is only one eternal plan and one eternal purpose. That is the eternal plan and the eternal purpose of God. And it is unstoppable. You won't stop it. The devil won't stop it. Because God has ordained it. There was nothing that would stop the coming of the Son of God. So when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. If you have a King James Bible, it says made of a woman. Because that word there, translated born or made, is, is kind of a strange word. It doesn't exactly strictly mean like a child that's born. It is a word that more accurately would be translated made. Jesus existed before time and space in eternity, but he was made of a woman. In his incarnation, in his advent, or in his first coming, that's Christmas, that's what we celebrate, Christmas, the coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. He was born of a virgin. He was made of a woman. Christ was born or made of a woman so that he could fulfill all righteousness, so that he could rightly suffer in Adam's place for the sins of those whom God would redeem. Jesus had to be made of a woman 
so that he could be a son of Adam so that he could rightfully take the penalty that was justly pronounced against Adam and humankind. So in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. Same word there. Christ was born or made under the law. This is true in every sense. Christ was a Jew. Christ was of the seed of Abraham. He was an Israelite. He was of the tribe of Judah. He descended from one of the 12 sons of Jacob. He is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. So as the seed of Abraham, he was born under the Mosaic law. But he was also born under the law of God. The same law Adam was born under. Adam wasn't born under the Mosaic law because Moses didn't exist then. But Adam was created and he lived under the law of God. And he broke it. Christ was born under the law of conscience that all humans are born under. And he, like all humans, are bound to keep God's law. So Jesus was born under the law in every sense, and he was bound as a human, as a son of Adam. He was bound to keep the law. And Christ, unlike all other humans, was able to keep and to fulfill all righteousness demanded by the law of God. This is what no other man could do. This is what you can't do. This is what I can't do. This is what no man can do except the man, Jesus Christ. He was able to fulfill all righteousness demanded by the law of God. He was born under the law to walk under the law and to fulfill it perfectly and to the uttermost. He walked in utter righteous perfection before God. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. You and I are born under a law today. We're born with the knowledge of good and evil. We're born under the law of conscience. We're born under the law and we are lawbreakers. I can say that with confidence because every human to ever walk this earth, save one, Jesus Christ, is a lawbreaker. Some break it more openly, some break it more consistently, habitually. But in God's economy, it doesn't matter if you break it once. Even in the least way, you are guilty of all. Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. That's us. That's all of us. Christ came to redeem us. Christ came to pay the price that we could not pay, to live the life that we could not live. Christ died and was buried and rose again the third day to redeem those who were under the law of God and powerless to fulfill its demand for righteousness. 
2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is the scandal of grace. That you, lawbreaker, are now made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not by what you have done, but by what he has done. By his blood, he has redeemed us. He purchased us back from sin and death and presents us righteous and spotless in him before the Father. Christ was made of a woman, made under the law to redeem those under the law that we would receive the adoption as sons. In our redemption, we have become the sons of God by adoption. We like to say that we're all children of God because we've all been created by God. But we're not all children of God equally. Jesus came to make those whom he would redeem his children, children of the Father, sons of God. And we become sons of God by adoption. God, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, has adopted us as his children and given us the gift of eternal life in his Son. And this gift of eternal life. This is the gift of Christmas. This is the gift that the Christ child brought into the world. God sent his son so that you and I would become sons and heirs of God through Christ. That we would receive the adoption as sons. He doesn't just call us sons He adopts us as sons. There's a difference. And then Paul writes, because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit into your hearts. So God doesn't just say, God actually backs up what he says. We as human beings have a bad habit of saying things and not following through. When God says something, God follows through. When God says he sent his son to redeem us that we might receive the adoption as sons, he backs that up by actually pouring out his spirit into our heart and actually making us his sons. God doesn't send his spirit into any heart but into the hearts of those who have become his children by adoption. Our adoption is according to the free and sovereign grace of God. If you've ever adopted a child, you know that the person who has the power in the adoption is not the child, it is the parents adopting. In other words, it's not the child being adopted who picks the parents. It is the parent adopting the child who picks the child. 
What would make God pick us? What would make God choose you to be his adopted child? Because you were more beautiful than the other children? Because you were more well-behaved than the other children? Because God saw much more potential in you than he did other children? The answer to all of those is no, no, no. Beauty had nothing to do with it. Potential had nothing to do with it. Goodness certainly had nothing to do with it. Because the Bible says that God adopted us while we were children of wrath. We were darkness and he made us light. Our adoption is according to his grace, according to his will. God in his grace adopted us while we were children of wrath under the law of sin and death. We did not merit his adoption. He gave it freely according to the good pleasure of his grace. This is exactly what the Bible says. This is exactly what the Bible means when it says we are saved by grace, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We have no boast except the grace of God. We have no boast except the cross of Christ. For it is only the grace of God through the cross of Christ that we have been made children of God. God did not send his son because we deserved him to come, because we did not. He sent his son because he chose for him to come. And that choice ultimately is for his glory. In fact, all of this is ultimately for his glory because this is all his story. So Jesus is born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we would receive the adoptions as sons because you are sons. God has sent his spirit, poured his spirit out into your heart that marks you as a son of God, that marks you as a child of God. His spirit marks you. You don't mark yourself. He has marked you by pouring out his spirit into your heart. And that spirit in your heart causes you to cry out, Abba, Father. The word Abba is an interesting word. It's a very ancient word from the Syriac or the Chaldee language. It's spelled just like that. It's pronounced just like that. And what's interesting about that word is that it's spelt the same and pronounced the same frontwards and backwards. And the Jews believed that was significant of something. They believed that it was significant in that God is our Father regardless of what's happening in our life. Whether things are moving forward just the way they're supposed to or whether things seem to be moving backward and exactly the way they're not supposed to God is our Father in the good times and in the bad times, in the difficult 
And then the knot is difficult. It is the Spirit in us, the Spirit sent into our hearts that empowers us and excites us to cry out, Abba, Father. It is a cry of the love and the affection that we now have in Christ. The affection and the love that God has for us and that we have for Him. And then Paul writes this, Now you are sons, and God has sent forth His Spirit into your heart, crying, Abba, Father, you are no longer a slave, but now you are a son. No longer a slave to sin and death. We are now free to love, to worship as sons of God. A son of God, a partaker of the divine nature, having become joined to Him by the Spirit, through adoption, by grace, through faith. We are sons of God with all the rights and privileges of His love for us in Christ. And then Paul writes this, if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Do you see the progression here? In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son to redeem those who were under the law that they might receive the adoption as sons. And as sons, God pours His Spirit into our hearts. And now we are no longer slaves, but we are sons. And if we are sons, then we are heirs of God through Christ. Do you know what an heir is? When someone passes and they leave a will and they put in that will, I leave all my earthly possessions to Bill. Bill is the heir. The Bible says that if we become sons, then we are heirs of God through Christ. Well, what has become ours in salvation? All that God has promised, all that becomes ours in salvation has become ours in Christ. It is through Christ alone that we receive all that God promises. And all that God has promised, all that we become heirs to, all that pertains to life and godliness is ours through Christ because Christ is the object of all that God has promised. We become heirs through Christ, but Christ is the heir. You understand? He is the Son. He is the only begotten of the Father. He is the firstborn. He is the heir. We become heirs because we have been joined to Him. He's called the head. We are called the body. We become partakers in His heirship because we have been made one with Him by grace through faith. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews pins for us. God who, in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, 
Let me just pause there for a moment. If you want to hear from God, go to your Bible, open it up, and read God's Word. Don't go to the psychic, even if they call themselves Christian. Don't go, don't go to the fortune teller. Don't go to the prophet down the street, the self-proclaimed one. Go to the Word of God. And let the Spirit of God that's on the inside of you because you've been made a son of God by His grace. Let the Spirit of God on the inside of you bear witness with the words of the prophets, the real prophets who wrote this word, who wrote these scriptures. And let the Word of God bear witness to your spirit. Don't be so lazy that you can't break open your Bible and get the word you need from God. Because I would venture to say that 99% of everything we need to hear from God is right there in his word. We're oftentimes just too lazy to get access to it. Okay, let me keep reading. He has spoken to us in these last days by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory in the express image of his son, in upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. He has by inheritance he is the heir. Christ is the heir. And you, as a son, become an heir with him. Listen to what Paul writes in his letter to the Romans. Romans 8, 12 through 17. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. Don't despise your suffering, church. Don't think that suffering is not ordained by God. It is ordained by God right here. Paul writes that we are joint heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with Him. That we may also be glorified together. We do not despise the glory that shall be ours. So do not despise the suffering that God allows you to walk through in this life. Because the promise he gives is that it is working for us a more eternal weight of glory. It's exactly what I just read to the kids today.
One last scripture, Galatians 3, 26 through 29. Paul writes, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let me say this. Now, I... The Bible uses the word sons. We have a habit in our modern cultures today of wanting to wipe away gender from everything. So we change Christmas carols, we change the Bible, we take the he out and we put they in. We don't like to use what the Bible writes here, sons of God. Some of you women might be going, I'm not a son of God, I'm a woman. I'm a daughter of God. No, the Bible says you're sons of God. And this has nothing to do with gender. This is why Paul writes this right here. He calls them sons of God and he knows he's addressing women. He's not disrespecting women. He's not just saying you women don't matter. When he writes, you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he writes, there is now neither male nor female. He's not abolishing gender roles either. Women, you're still women. Men, you're still men. Wives, you're still wives. Husbands, you're still husbands. You got your roles. You got your, your, your places. That's not what is happening here. That word sons is important because the son received something that no one else did, especially the firstborn son. And the fact that the Bible tells us that what we, re- we receive heirship, we're made sons of God. It's telling us the position that we have obtained by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It speaks of the promises that have been made to us because we are sons. God's not disrespecting anyone's gender. God's not trying to, this is not about antiquated language that that is out of date. This is God proclaiming to those who become his children the promise and the magnitude of the promise and the surety of the promise. And this is why Paul writes, for you are all, male and female, young and old, you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The Savior has come. Our salvation is one. It is finished. Listen to the words of the prophet. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Those words were written 700 years before the birth of Christ. 
And that promise, that prophetic promise was set in motion when Jesus Christ was born. And the promise, that prophetic promise has not wavered, has not faltered. The increase of his government and peace has been increasing and it will have no end forever and ever and ever. All of this because Christ was born in Bethlehem. I want to invite you to get ready to come to the Lord's table. Let's stand. Here's your charge. So I want to charge you this morning to remember some things that are true. I want you to think about these things. The child laying in a feed trough did not look like a savior king. The government was upon his shoulders, but it was not visible. The child grew up in a house in the house of the poor, he did not grow up in the palaces of the rich and powerful. That child became a rabbi with a misfit group of followers who did not look like they would be the ones that would overthrow empires and turn the world upside down. But they did. Christ did not consider robbery to be equal with God. Instead, he humbled himself, and he humbled himself to the point of death, death on a cross, becoming a curse for us all. But out of that extreme humility, he was given the name above every other name. And he has now given that name to you as his sons. Christ dying on the cross did not look like the finisher of our faith and our salvation, but he was. The man placed in the tomb did not look like the resurrection and the life that would usher in a new creation with kingdom authority, but he is. Remember, in the kingdom of God, things are not always as they appear. We should remember this well as we walk through this world by faith and not by sight. With the kingdom authority that has been given to us in Christ. Our enemies, even our ultimate enemy, death, no longer has power over us. We have nothing to fear. Kingdoms have been toppled, rulers displaced, powers and principalities exposed and defeated. The world and its ruler has been judged. Christ has overcome all. He rules as King of kings and Lord of lords. Our salvation is secure, our victory sure, our present and our future is now filled with hope and all because Christ is born. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Merry Christmas.